Zone, a podcast of Star Trek by ladies, for ladies, and gentlemen, where we talk about Star Trek loudly and at great length. I am your host, Corey. I got there. In the end, I got there. Are you sure? Yeah, I checked all the boxes. Anyways, I am your host, Corrine. I am joined as ever by the fabulous Kim. Hello. And the perfectly okay Ari. Hi. And things are about to get gorny today. Where we talk about the <laughs> classic episode of Original Trek. Okay, two things. Yes. One, that was terrible. That was terrible. I can't believe you made us wait for that. Two, thank you for doing that. <laughs> You're welcome. Uh, where we talk about the classic Star Trek episode, the arena. I don't think there's a V. Really? You're going to nitpick over I'm that? I'm just saying... You're saying nonsense. Please edit out that bit. We're talking about the episode, The Arena. It's not. I dare you. Okay. <laughs> Which is classic for a number of reasons. I'd say number one on top of all that list is the Gorn itself. The head <laughs> Gornster. Um, Can I make a quick note about the Gorn? Yes. You make him. He was not wearing pants. No. Okay. <laughs> Well, should we dissect his outfit choice. now or later? I, feel I have like we detail. Wait until we get it was the most glaring thing to me while I'm watching really? him, and I'm just like, he is not wearing any not, pants. Not the fact that he's he a lizard. A he does duck the whole thing. It was sort of a bathing suit kind of thing. It was very oh, wait, no, reptiles do have penises, right? Yes, they do. He was not wearing pants, but like that's what it was like a tunic you? skirt. He's a man-sized lizard and also has bug eyes, but it's yes, I was bo- that... yes, I was bothered more more by the pantslessness than anything okay. else. Kim, now that you bring up that point, I can't stop thinking <laughs> about it. No pants. Well, he's wearing kind of like he's wearing like a tunic. It looks yes. like a bathing suit to me. No, it's, it's, it's like, not a bathing suit. It was it's sort a tunic. of very like Roman gladiator yes, style. Yeah, because that's the entire premise of this episode is it's a gladiatorial combat between humans and the Gorns. Although I should note that even though the episode is called Arena, yeah, the actual Arena segment is less than a third of the episode. Really? Because it felt like all the episodes. Oh yes, it felt like all I the episodes. I felt like we were trapped on that planet for five days. Oh yeah. Well, we were experiencing it all in real time. Oh. Sometimes viewing it through the eyes of the character, sometimes put up on a view screen for all to see for no particularly good reason. Yeah. What yeah. can be more exciting than watching other people watch television? Of some guy walking around a planet playing with dirt. He plays with many things. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So I will agree with you that there is some classic stuff in this episode. Yes. It was also not well written. No. <laughs> or filmed. No, this was a hot mess, made even oh, yeah. tragic, oh, made God. much more tragic by the fact that it gave William Shatner, Leonard Nimoy, and DeForest Kelly tinnitus. Really? What? Yeah. Oh, from the explosion? From the explosions. Oh. <gasps> that they all suffered. None, oh, not the God. red shirts? There's, just... only, there's only one left. There's only one what left? Shatner's left. 
the other two suffered it for the rest of their lives. Shatner. Oh. Yeah. And then there was one. Oh, no. Yeah. But yeah, like, what a waste of your hearing. <laughs> but it only gave tinnitus to those three, not any of the red shirts who were also... They don't count. Okay. Yeah. Well, we're sorry, red shirts who probably all had tinnitus. Or they were probably not leaping and bounding and somersaulting Between across. the explosions. Yeah, but, but what a tragic waste. Yeah, so this episode is not well written. No. Oh, no. No. It is all over the place. a giant pile of nonsense. And it feels like Kirk is having, like, roid rage for 90% of it. For no apparent reason. Yeah. Uh, well, no, there was a reason. It was so they could shoehorn in the moral mm-hmm. that had they actually spent the time to create a well-written episode would have been more interesting. Okay, and beyond the fourth wall reason, but not an actual narrative reason. Mm-hmm. No, and we'll <laughs> get to that by the end because, I, I mean, I know Kim brings this up a lot, that <laughs> there's not a lot of continuity Mm-hmm. But especially in the place where this episode is in the airing, this makes less oh, sense. Oh, at all. If anything, less sense mm. um, than it should if it had been independently. But what, since we're watching them all consecutively, like you see that they're grappling with the same kind of themes, like revenge and that humanity is not so bad and we don't all want to stab each other. This episode comes out of nowhere. Yeah. yeah. Um, so... But there are some really amazing headbutts and <laughs> jugular grabs and a lot of really strong pouncing and a very <laughs> convincing lamp run. Oh, so Corrine's apparently uh, underrunning criticism of this episode is based on William Shatner's choreography, apparently. Did That's... he choreograph that himself? I'm pretty sure he no, did no, not. No, the choreography imposed upon him, his blocking then. Not a huge surprise. He moves like a sleek jungle panther. Shatner falling off of things and onto the ground. He, he's he okay. He he moves like a sleek jungle panther mm. fighting a log of wood. No, no, no. Do you know what it reminds me of? A sleek jungle panther who uh, has been given veterinary uh, sedatives like that <laughs> yes. time. Like that time the dog got hit with the porcupine. The dog still thinks that it's graceful and wild, except it's super drunk. He moves through the air as <laughs> if it were water. <laughs> Gravity makes special allowances for William Shatner. Okay, sure, sure. Yeah, so we are up on the ship, and they're talking about going to Cestus 3, where there is a Commodore there who has his own personal chef. Yeah, can we stop for a second, because what? Yeah, if I went to space, would you not bring your personal chef? I think he's. I think he's in space and has a personal chef because they are so far into the reaches of the galaxy. He has nothing else in his life. <laughs> Jesus, <laughs> I feel bad for the. The chef. impression I got was that they were so far out there that he needed to have all of this amazing stuff like personal chefs and fun adventure times in order to get people to come and visit him. Is this like like the Northern Living Allowance or, or loan forgiveness for people who work in tiny communities in the middle of nowhere? I think it is. It's kind of like being on a lighthouse, except of course in this. Example, there were other people Come there. work on the Galactic Rim. We'll give you a personal chef. No other way to convince people to come be in charge of these I think it's just the, No, I, I think that it's just the Commodore. And because of their conversation, like, rank has its privileges. Wink, wink. Oh, manly 50s laughter. <laughs> um, is that he's just so fancy and he wants his personal chef along with him. Yeah. Okay. That's understandable. 
Mm. Yeah, the weird sensual growling you hear in the background is the dog, not any of us. <laughs> Although I have been known to make the same noise when watching Shatner gracefully bound into like a little trivet in the ground and then roll for no apparent reason. Yeah, so they're going down to this place. Colony. This colony. And the Commodore specifically asks that Kirk bring along his entire tactical team. Which sounds like it should be an important plot point, but turns out not so much. It is. It is. Well, they set a thing up, and then they never address it again. Yeah, they do. It was all part of a Gorn plan. Sure, but we never actually see what the plan was. Yeah. So it's well, the plan. Of... The, the problem is, is that no one in Star Trek has seen Star Wars, so they don't <laughs> yeah. know to exclaim at a certain point. It's a trap. Yeah, which we did about ooh, what two minutes in. Oh, as soon as the corridors like come down with your tactical team, yeah. like ooh, that's, that baby. sounds trappish. No. no, it definitely has the trappings of one. Uh, uh no, no, no. Um, however, hilariously, because. Uh, the, the whole little personal chef ha 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 conversation. He's famous for his hospitality. And in this scene, Spock accuses Bones of being a sensualist. Which. Who isn't? Okay. <laughs> Who wants not to feel good? <laughs> Although, to be fair to Spock, when they were going on about famous for his hospitalities, I was like, oh, he's got horse. <laughs> <laughs> That's a very, like, Firefly way of saying seeing that but yeah you're very right now that i think about it he has good hospitality lots of good sensual massages if you know what i mean and i do what know that you know what i mean because i said it out loud and described yeah. it in no uncertain yeah. terms anyways and and mccoy's like yeah i want a non-reconstituted meal for once so when they say reconstituted meal are we talking about they're like eating astronaut food like MREs, it sounds like what yeah. we usually see. Like the, the weird little space pills. Ah, the space pills. And the fake meatloaf turkey. The Murphy. Well, it got turned into real turkeys. Magically. Magically? Yeah. Yeah, so they're all like, oh, absolutely, let's beam down to this planet with all of our tactical team, which we'll definitely not need later. Not suspicious at all. Not suspicious at all. Um, three blue shirts, one red shirt, two yellow shirts, Kirk, Spock, and McCoy. And three nameless, or three, well, I suppose they they're, have names. Those are the reds. Three blue, one red, two yellow. They yeah. do have names, but they're not important. Ouch! Well, they're not important because they survive. Actually, no, most of them do survive. No, one of them. One of them. No, very few of them do. Two of them die off screen, um, and one of them survives. Mm. It's very sad. Now, here's a weird <laughs> bit. Is that despite the fact that I know that did was not SFU, it looked like SFU. <laughs> because all semi-industrial concrete looking things with smoke rising from them look like SFU. It was I had to remind myself, no, it was not filmed in Vancouver, despite the fact that every sci-fi show is filmed in Vancouver. It's the yeah. miracle of Arthur Erickson architecture. <laughs> it all looks exactly the same. Yes. And so we go down onto this planet, they beam down, and it is obvious to everyone that it's a trap! Because everything has been destroyed. Lots of it is on fire. Yeah. There's no one there with, like, a greeting party. There's no personal chef with the barbecue already. Fire it up with some, sish, like, personalized shish kebabs. Definitely yeah. no whores. Definitely no whores. Yeah. And uh, clearly, just fire. Yeah. And this clearly happened days ago. Yeah. So, Kirk says to everyone, as if he's ordering them on the ship, Full alert, everyone! <laughs> I was waiting for someone to start going... <laughs> they should like, definitely like that. they hadn't looked around and gone on full alert already you would think if i beam down to a planet and everything was on fire alert. it'd be like oh no i'm gonna reserve just 50 percent of alert and the rest <laughs> is just gonna like dawdle and look at the pretty flames mm. so 
what about the message? The message was clearly faked. <laughs> yeah. And they're supposed to go look for They found one survivors. survivor. Well, they yeah, they take cover in a building and they leap from rock to rock with mm-hmm, o- mm-hmm. offering absolutely zero cover. And they find one guy yes. who is dying. Yes. Who says, they hit us for no reason. They just flattened us. We have no idea why. It is star date 3045.6, which mm-hmm. makes no sense. I told you. The... Uh, the gentleman who they have received from the rubble has radiation burns and internal bleeding, and McCoy has given the orders to keep him alive. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. I don't know if he's going to make it through this episode. Well, if he dies, Bones will get a court martial. <laughs> wow. That's his favorite go-to method. Uh, they've also detected other life signs, which are cold-blooded. That are not human. <gasps> yeah. That... I don't know who she was doing an impression of right there. That was my old-timey radio voice. Oh, okay. It's really good. It's, it's sorry, it's, it's harder to tell without the crackling. <laughs> yeah, so they're not human. They're all around us. How many people of them do we see? None. Zero. So here's the point where I was like, oh, did the show run out of money? <laughs> but they couldn't because they gave the director a $500 bonus because he finished a day ahead of schedule. But... We at zero point see any of these aliens or their ship. Do you know why he finished a day ahead of schedule? <laughs> Saved all that time on putting extras into makeup. That's true. <laughs> That's true. I, I don't disagree with him, but they keep like, oh, they're right ahead of us. And then we pan to the shot of a hill, which is just, just a hill. There's <laughs> nothing there. There is nothing. Oh, they're advancing. Shot to If the hill. you say so. Are they also invisible? I don't know, but it's crazy. Like, even when they're chasing the ship, and usually we get some good, like, in the one with the Romulan ship. Mm -hmm. uh, Balance of Terror, the greatest episode of all time. (laughs) In Balance of Terror, we see both of the ships. Mm -hmm. We often see a little bit of a chase every once in a while. Yeah. And this was odd because, A, we don't see any aliens when we see them approaching and firing on them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And B, we don't see their ship at all. And there's no. supposed to be this this really tight spaceship race going in yeah, between. But we never see we, anything. No. Oh, that's a good point. I actually didn't notice that we didn't see the ship. I did notice that we didn't see any aliens on the planet. No, up until the point, quite late in the episode, relatively speaking, because it's the title of the episode, up to the point where we actually get to the arena part, it's like they're chasing a ghost, which is odd. And, like, now it feels like, hmm, you didn't have a big enough budget to make the model ship, did you? It's a model ship. Go buy one at the shop. Or to make more than one Gorn suit. Oh, yeah. Which, obviously, they labored a lot of time yeah. and effort onto that Gorn and suit. And love. They labored something onto it. <laughs> so, I would like to point out that Crouching Shatner <laughs> hit a Nimoy. <laughs> <laughs> and one guy, they're like, oh, go, go see what's up. And, of course, he can't see anything because these guys never show up. Yeah. He's Stands up in his beautiful, I almost want to see red shirt. He is actually the red shirt. He is the red shirt. He stands up and is immediately. Disappears. Yeah. He's been zapped. My God. I know. So in many ways, this is a classic Star Trek episode. We have a red shirt dead within the first 15 minutes. Yeah. um, Stupidly. And I argue due to his own foolhardiness. Mm. Well, he did just stand up in the middle of a live fire situation. That was kind of stupid. Yes, at which point giant bombs start happening, and 
again, not to criticize special effects because I realize, you know, like, this was back in the day. The bombs are clearly being blown up from the ground up. Yeah. Uh, no, they're supposed to be being, like, attacked from the air, I think? Yeah, or... I think so. We're getting the, you get the... Yeah. yeah, although you do Mrs. get... sound effect? Yes. Like, I mean, that's how they usually do practical effects for explosions, but no, we also get, um, the, the bit where they home in on Spock's tricorder and, like, overload it remotely. I don't know. Again, this, okay, the special effects from this section to me really felt like we were in a World War II movie and we were yeah. being bombed yeah. in France. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, you're shelled. A little yeah. less concrete, exactly a little more masonry, it, it would have been very convincing. It's exactly what it felt like, because we you were taking cover behind half-broken walls and mm-hmm. in, like, a bombed-out a bombed out building with a wounded guy that you found. Yeah. It felt like we were in World War II France, is basically what, what I got from this. Accurate. Accurate yeah. in every yeah. way, Kim. And, okay, so there's a weird thing about the thing with the Gorns. Like, we have the, all this set up up to this point, where we actually are in the episode, where it's sort of like, we, it feels like we're going to get more into what the Gorn are like and what kind of weapons they have and why they represent a special threat, because they are very much presented as a special threat. Um, are they special? I don't well, think no. they're that special. I don't think they are, but the way that we get little bits and pieces up to this point of what, not what they're like exactly, but what kind of technology, like what kind of weapons they have, it's sort of set up like it's going to be about their weapons, about their capabilities, about the kind of threat they present to all these outside outer colonies, and it never materializes. I think they're still a threat. I don't know if it's necessarily about their technology. No, just, but it's sort of, just that they're an unknown. It implies a level of complication to the conflict in the narrative that just never actually materializes, like never comes up. It's sort of, we, it's like, oh, mystery, like invisible enemies. Yeah, I think the invisibility kind of throws a wrench into it because you're like, weird. oh, well, why can't I see them? Yeah. yeah. Not that you can make assumptions about their technology no. just based on what they look like. But, but the kind of weapons that they use and the bombs and like, the way that they flatten the colony and like it sounded really like a really it's not short flattened. Of time. It still looks like SFU. Okay, figuratively flattened. But the way that it's set up at the beginning of the episode, it feels like there's going to be a level of complication in in their interactions with like the Enterprise and the Federation crew that just never actually happens. And a lot of that is weird. And I mean, a lot of that is served because we never see them. We never see the ship. And it feels like that's a plot point, but I don't think it was. Yeah, I want to go back to Kim's point, because I feel like that makes a lot of sense. Maybe not a World War Two, but a World War One, As in, they're stuck in their trench. Yeah. Being bombarded by shells from an enemy that they don't see. That they know is there, but they never see. That they never really encounter. That they can't understand. All they understand is that they're an unknown menace without mercy. Because every enemy is. So I feel like that's a really... Oh, but yeah. even that's only a tease. In what way? They are not pleasant. No, they're not. But we don't actually get anything about the Gorn. We get the opinion of the the all-powerful aliens who step into the conflict that on the Gorns, but we never actually get anything on the Gorns themselves. It reminds me of that next-gen episode, the first one with the Ferengi. Okay. Where they're like, the Ferengi, they're the scariest aliens ever. They eat people, blah, blah, blah. We've never seen one of their ships. But they never really follow through on that because the Ferengi are ridiculous. Yeah. Um, it just felt like they were going to do something more with the Gorn and then change their minds at the last minute. Yeah, that could be it. Because, I mean, on a lot of a lot of the unknown stuff from the Gorn, I feel like, is... Because it's so badly written, if this had been a, <laughs> if this had been a better written episode, 
we would have actually learned more about the Gorn once Kirk and the Gorn captain were on the arena planet. Mm -hmm. But I think what you're asking for is the next generation episode with Picard and the alien whose name I totally forget, but who speaks in metaphors. Darmok. Darmok. Yeah. 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 In some ways, yes. But I mean, I kept expecting for Spock to talk to the Gorn first officer or something to happen in that way. Because, um, I think I, this just, it was so badly written and there was so much more interesting stuff that could have happened. That's the thing. It's like, it felt like you kept seeing like glimpses of where it could have gotten good and complicated and subtle and it never happened. No, but I think it's just, it's an enemy who's, what we're supposed to understand, it's an enemy that attacked without provocation whose motivations Mm -hmm. are unknown. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And part of the mystery that they're setting up is, well, we make the assumption, oh, they're just warlike and cruel and that's why they took out the station. Whereas... They have to figure out the actual motivation once they're done being upset. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, and that and we see that almost right away with when they get back up to the ship. I mean, we're not there yet in the yeah. narrative, but when they get back up to the ship, that is exactly what we see. Kirk is like, we have to destroy them. We are going to chase them down. We are going to hunt them down. Yes. And Spock is like, can we take a minute and yeah. think about this? And Kirk is just like, no, we're going to go yeah, destroy exactly. I was with yeah. Spock on that because I wanted... Of course we were with like, Spock on that. Of course. Because Kirk is irrational when it comes to this kind of stuff. Well, no, it's not no. that Kirk is irrational. He was like, really is out of character Kirk in this case. Kirk is under, like, roid rage for this entire episode. For, yeah, he makes no sense. Nowhere. Getting back to, mm-hmm. um, Sulu, the ship is also under attack, which we never see. Nope. We, we don't even hear it. Well, no. There's not even any boom effects while we are on the ship. We yep. just have Sulu telling us that they're being fired upon. This is like a radio play. Yeah. <laughs> so he fires the phasers, and then there's something about screens. They have screens. Shields. It was yeah. They said they had screens instead of shields. Yeah, which I it goes was back and forth this early. Yes, and like he's oh we're outnumbered, and uh, also having the shields up uh, means that it can't beam the landing party up. Yes, and that the. Uh, Aliens down on the planet have disruptors, which disrupt your atoms to all... Sure, yeah. whatever. Well, I, Big shake I'm down. not sure. There, there must be some distinction because... Or just maybe different terminology because, like, when you get to next gen and stuff, is more mm. subtle. Like, the Federation people have phasers, but the Klingons have disruptors. Instead of the Romulans. Yeah. So I'm not sure what the where the difference comes in. Does a phaser by any other name... <laughs> <laughs> well, I think they work differently, too, because... You don't generally see Klingon disruptors with a stun setting. Romulans either. Isn't the idea of disruptors, and correct me if I'm wrong, except don't, um, is that essentially it like rumbles your atoms so much that they tear apart? Yeah. That could be it. Whereas phasers are like a graduating like... Now that we're talking about it, I've never thought about the difference I between have. phasers and, and that's disruptors. pretty much, and what Kareen said is pretty much what I always sort of assumed when yeah, I but, did think about it. But a phaser, is it just knocking you out of phase? I think... There is somewhere in, like, Memory Alpha or Loose on the Internet or a book I once owned, maybe, that sort of... There's the science of Star Trek. That explains... It was more like that that a a phaser sort of screws up your resonance, whereas a disruptor actually screws up your cells and your atoms, and, like, because there's no stun setting on a Klingon disruptor, and so it just kills you or maims you, whereas a phaser only kills you when it's on, like, super high... On kill. See, I had assumed that the phaser was just a burst of energy. Yeah, it is. But I mean, so would a disruptor. So it would just be like how it works. How there's, 
I don't know. Do we I would do some research you? on phaser and disruptor technology. Yes. Yeah, we the, definitely the, get the our technology that does not actually down. exist. <laughs> but let's definitely delve into that. And another that. weird thing about this uh, bit where they're on the surface and getting like bombed and the ship's getting apparently bombed, although there's no evidence of this, nope. is that Kirk seems to be commanding the ship from the surface. Yep. Which I thought was really weird. Well, there's one point where he laments, I wish I were up on the ship. Yeah. And it is very strange because Sulu is in charge, except he's the helmsman, so he's there's no one in the captain's chair. We never no. see the captain's chair. No, it's really I don't strange. know if they were shooting something else and someone else is in the captain's chair <laughs> at the same time. Or was George Decay on the bridge all by himself for that day? Because they weren't paying extras. Also episode. that true. But why not just zoom up on his face? Why not let him sit in his- the damn captain's chair? It's so weird because Kirk is giving orders on how to respond to the attack on the ship while he is on the surface trying to, like, command their... He is Probably not just commanding. Defense. He's telling everyone to keep their head down. Yeah. To what end, I would ask. Other it's than so just strange. maybe the advice would be don't stand up if you're wearing a red shirt. Yeah. yeah. It's like, there are certainly other command officers on the ship. I mean, why isn't one of them in command of the bridge? I don't understand. But, um... It's because all the tacticians went down... T- oh, <laughs> my God. Went downstairs. So they send off two more red shirts. Although I don't think either of them is wearing red at this point. Because red shirt blue. got... Yeah. Um... And uh, Kirk's like, hey, Spock, do you remember where the colony, like, hid its weapons? And Spock's like, this in is In the terri- hills! This is a terrible plan, says Spock. In the hills where the aliens are. Yeah. Oh, that undestroyed bunker just over there. Just over there. To which Kirk zigzags. He doesn't zigzag, he ballet leaps sideways. <laughs> yeah. And then he does some kind of amazing tumbling routine that's right out of, like, the brothers Karzimazov. And... But he stops halfway to make a phone call. <laughs> mm-hmm. On his stomach, like he face, face plants into the concrete and pulls out his. Actually, he's pulling it out as he face plants, yeah. which I thought was a strange use of multitasking. Yeah, and so Sulu takes the ship out because Kirk's like, "Well, no point in getting the ship destroyed in the middle Good of call. my routine." Kirk actually says, "Never mind me. Protect my ship." Yeah. Also, your lives. <laughs> no, no, yeah. he cares about the ship. That is true. And then Spock does his own tumbling routine, <laughs> just taller and more gangly. <laughs> to join Kirk. To join Kirk. Because he's detected that the aliens are moving in on them. Yes. Sure. Okay. And the Why bombs not? continue to explode in exactly the same place every yep. single time, yep. giving everyone tinnitus. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, this is the bit where the aliens lock onto Spock's tri- and again this is yeah. all kind of like throwaway dialogue and then he chucks his tricorder and this explodes whole episode and like, is throwaway dialogue wait what yeah. <laughs> they've locked onto his tricorder and set it on overload and make and it then explode it blows up remotely which okay and then um, we get a little bit of foreshadowing, mm-hmm. which I didn't realize now With the most DIY looking grenade launcher ever it's definitely PVC piping mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And, like, giant Super Balls. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. And then they have, yeah, Super Balls, which they just fire into the hills, and that's that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Problem solved. Hand swipe. We're done. Episode over, except. <sighs> so they send in a search party uh, from the Enterprise. Uh, interruption. Yeah. Did you realize that they Velcro their communicators to their belts? Yes. There is a distinct rip of Velcro (laughs) as they take them off. Yeah, they they beam 30 medical personnel down. And then abandon them. And then leave them there. I think there's some some time. 
No. 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 They beam 30 medical personnel, which <laughs> well, is probably everybody on the ship except Bones, because well, he has to be there to, like, centrally massage Kirk's shoulder. There's a weird thing, though, because if they if they do beam down a bunch of people... 30 like, medical personnel. Right, to look for survivors or whatever. And the then, one was only there. Yeah. And then, like, go immediately back to the ship to leave because they're following the alien ship, which has left orbit to fuck off. Oh, no, they are abandoned there on Except this planet? they also apparently take enough time to beam up that one survivor guy and stabilize him, which oh, can't but, be instantaneous. No, they took him with them. Yeah. yeah. And then he goes on to the discount orge with gold thread sheets that the uh, hazmat suits are made out of. They don't yeah. even let him change his clothes. No. No, but they do put silly putty on his face. Because they're gone. Yeah. They're, they're taking him and they're fixing him on the fly. Yes. And Dead Guy gives a poor performance. Mm-hmm. Oh, God. If I shake my head back and forth, it will convey drama and also angst. Why did they do it? There has to be a reason. We weren't expecting anything. <laughs> they didn't, like, send a card ahead. <laughs> On Wednesday, Space Day 327 nonsense, you'll be invaded by the corn. Please make the appropriate arrangements. And on a nice little card with curlicues in the corner that yeah. your butler brings in on a silver tray. Yeah, so, and we learned that essentially they just got pounded. Yeah. And they tried to surrender. They begged them. There were children and other... Non-combatants. Whatever. Vulnerable things. Yeah. And this is where Kirk screams, it's a trap. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. There um, has to be a reason. Yeah. There, there, I guess there is. And Spock and Kirk talk about it a little bit and they're like, okay. Yeah, except that they don't really talk about it. Kirk just goes, it was an invasion. Let's go kill some bitches. Well, what he says <laughs> is that... Can reptiles be bitches? Why not? Yeah, I guess so. Anyway. Bitch is a state of attitude, not a gender thing. Anyway, um, the, Kirk concludes that this whole thing was an attempt to, A, lure in the Enterprise, which is the only starship in this area, apparently. That's an excellent policy, Starfleet. Good job. Carry on with that. Yeah, but they're at the very edges of space. Like, this is like an Earth command outpost colony. Mm-hmm. Like, they are at the very edge of But it of sounds this. like the Enterprise is, like, the only ship in the area that well, polices yeah. this yeah. area Yeah, they have a five-year mission to go and patrol the very edge of known space. Space is big. It's ever sure. expanding. And apparently Starfleet only has one ship. No, um, but that's the ship that's sent out to these crappy little outposts. What the hell are they doing there? And I assume they're doing science. Not. I don't know. Stars, Anyhow, planets, never mind. It's not important. So yeah, this is supposed to be, I feel like, one of like the thesis statement arguments of the episode, but it doesn't work. No. no. Because Kirk is just like, nope, nope. Off yeah. we go. Yeah. And there isn't even, there, there's no discussion about... Could there possibly be another reason Spock's just like, uh, can we talk about it? Nope, moving on. Yeah, because Kirk's like, nope, they were trying to learn the Enterprise to blow it up so they could destroy the other colonies unchallenged. Well, that he feels like the, the Gorn, I guess they're, do we know that they're called the Gorn at not this yet. point? No, not at this Who point. Who cares? Um, that the Gorn are trying to invade, that they're just testing it out, and if we don't stop them now, then they'll just keep invading all these Yeah, if we let that ship get back to its base, they'll know that... They'll tell all the, their other little Gorn friends that, um, that we're... Essentially, it's like, they'll think we're pussies? I Basically, know. yeah. Yeah, and Spock is saying, well, what about life? And Kirk says, Revenge! Well, instead of instead of getting to actually have an opinion or have a discussion about the topic, all we're left with is, like, Leonard Nimoy looking concerned. Well, Spock's actually the one who says, if you think that's true, you have no choice but to destroy the ship. And I'm still not sure whether he was just offering that as one of many possible options or if 
he was trying to, like, suggesting it as a method of dissuasion? No, I think Spock was saying, okay, well, if that's your thesis statement, mm-hmm. um, then the only logical thing to do is shoot him out of the sky. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so everyone goes on red alert. Kirk lets them know this is not a drill, which, by the way, I think should be my new ringtone. <laughs> <laughs> and then they start in hot pursuit. Yeah, and they go straight to, like, warp six, warp seven. When they go to warp seven, everyone on the bridge looks at Kirk like he's crazy. They all kind of clutch their pearls and gas yeah. a yeah. little. My question is, why have a warp seven if That's you're not going to use it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, they also have a warp eight and a warp nine at this point. They don't get to warp ten until the next gen. No, warp ten, by the time we get to to uh, next gen, we know that warp ten is impossible. Except, except in Voyager. Except in Voyager, <laughs> where you accidentally break the warp ten barrier. Or if a Q is helping. Yes. And but no, I mean, too slow. And okay, this is a thing though. Like we've seen this in we see this in in original series that they sort of like warp five, and then anything over that is pushing it, and they're pushing their engines. Um, and there's a whole thing about this in Enterprise, where like Enterprise is they're working on the first warp five engine, hmm. and it's a constant battle to keep the power levels and to produce enough energy and to keep everything from, like, freaking out and blowing up if you want to get any fat. Sure. Like, to get to warp five. So, and I mean, I'm completely fine with that. I would be fine with it, except this is your fucking flagship. Why are you putting beta tech on it? Also, if you don't want because my car to... to put... If you don't want my car to go 242 yeah. kilometers per hour, then don't give me the option. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, you, I'm saying you have to put beta tech somewhere, so why not test it out on something? That they're five years it? away from everything yeah, else. Yeah, if it breaks, there's no way to fix well, it. Well, that's why everybody is freaking out. Like, we're not supposed to go this fast. I'm just saying Starfleet Engineering made a terrible mistake in this case. They're not supposed to be going that fast for a long period of time. Although there's also, mm-hmm. I suppose, the possibility that it wasn't supposed to go that fast, and Scotty just sort of... No, no, it is able to go that fast. It's just it can't go that fast for very long mm. without exploding. So Kirk's reasoning is is that we'll catch up to them. We'll yeah. just like phase those guys in the butt and then turn around and yeah. Go so there's home. a long boring sequence where they are chasing the aliens. The aliens speed up. The Enterprise speeds up. But this is probably my favorite part of the episode <laughs> because they're going into an unknown part of space that's full of space rumors about what's going to be there. Space legend <laughs> is an, an space mystery. Part of so space. at this point, it turns into Moby Dick in space. <laughs> yeah, Kirk yeah. is chasing his so white whale. So we're having one episode, which is already pretty shoddily assembled, and so then all got, of a sudden... We've got World War One, World War Two, trench sure. warfare. <laughs> yep. Now we're on a Moby Dick. Yeah. Yep. And then out of nowhere, it becomes a completely different story because well, they pass an uncharted solar system, which is scanning them. Yes, but before that is that Spock makes the argument, like, are you going to kill the sentient being? What about their respect for life? And he calls Kirk Jim. Mm-hmm. So he makes a personal appeal. What about our demand to respect life? To his friend, at which point Kirk says that we're the only policemen around. Yeah. Which I guess answers the questions that we had previously of, is there police in this yeah. world? Which I think this implies that there are. Yeah. Starfleet is police. Yeah, out here Starfleet is the police. Do they have like a JAG version? They do. <laughs> we see, we see or like them. NCIS. <laughs> NCIS Starfleet. Oh my god, I would so NCIS, watch that. NCIS, ST, I would watch that so hard. I have, yeah, I have always said I would watch Star Trek CSI. I would love to see NCIS, STOS. I would watch. <laughs> they could keep the original cast from NCIS. I don't care. So as already said, the Enterprise is being scanned, and then they're being... Kirk asks, is there any hostility on the beams? Yeah. <laughs> to which her replies, eh? <laughs> <laughs> Basically. She actually 
does give him this wide-eyed sort of like, what the fuck are you talking about kind of look. Beams don't have feelings. That is the stupidest thing I've ever heard in my life. Oh my god. That they're steady, steady, and growing stronger. Apparently I missed a ton of stuff in this episode. I watched this episode at like 6.30 this morning before I went to work. So the alien has slot, has stopped the Gorn ship. They're dead in space. Kirk asks, are you sure? To Sulu. Which, how could you be mistaken about that? No, no, I'm totally Are they wrong. dead in space? Oh, no, wait. They're actually moving. My bad. No, they're dead in the water. Yeah. And Kirk kind of does a, hey, we got them. Yeah. And. The, okay, I want to pause here because for a minute about, oh, almost a Less than a minute, probably, because of that. Then it sort of took a sharp left turn into what the hell is going on land. Yes. Um, while the the Gorn ship is moving, and they say this like three or four times, they're moving away from the this mysterious solar system. I thought, oh, that's the Gorn solar system. They're trying to draw the Enterprise away. Oh yeah, I definitely thought that too. Really, yeah. I thought they were just avoiding it because of space rumors. No. The fun, the really frustrating part about that is that we don't actually get told what the fucking space legends are. Well, we just allude vaguely to the existence of space rumors, so it could be anything. Who is starting those rumors? Space dragons? I don't know. Yeah, yeah. so then the Enterprise is hit with the same whammy. Yep. And, and Scotty is running engineer from the bridge and not engineering. Yeah, it's a mystery. Yeah. Able to simply intuit what's happening with the engines. Hmm. Well, maybe he's got an engineering station, because Jordy in the next yeah. gen, Jordy does it all the time, and if, if, if there's ever a big emergency or whatever, Jordy actually comes up to the bridge and runs stuff from up there so he can better hear orders. Yeah. And also, if it blows up, he's far, far away. <laughs> yeah, too. Jordy, I call yeah. you out. At which point... The psychedelic alien LSD trip goes I up on the screen. I call them Rainbow Disco. Ooh, I'm going to go with Rainbow Disco, yes. Mm. Rainbow Disco shows up on the screen and gives you some high-minded Quaker nonsense. <laughs> <laughs> wow, Kareem. Tell us what you really think. <laughs> You're on a mission of violence, not on our planet. <laughs> They're not even on their planet. They're just sort of passing through. <laughs> not and in like, our neighborhood. <laughs> exactly. If you're going to go, like, fight yourself, you're going to have to go and do it some other other place. In fact, we've created a disco yeah. tech for you. They're <laughs> like the mafia murder tech. of the solar a system. A murder tech. Yeah, yeah, we've created a murder tech where there's weapons for your limited mentalities. And at this point, it becomes captain versus captain. Yes. Oh, and, and by the way, the loser dies and also the ship gets destroyed. Which would seem to be an act of violence, wouldn't yeah, it? That, yeah. that, that doesn't make any sense to no. me. He's like, you're going to go have violence. Yeah, more violence, but so go kill each other. here's more violence. Yeah. yeah. And by the way, a threat of further violence after that. Like, okay. Uh, and then Kirk disappears, and Uhura screams. It is so weird, because finally everyone reacts the way that you would react if someone suddenly disappeared <laughs> into thin air. Yeah. I did not like that she screamed, though. I was not in her defense mm-hmm. when stuff happens suddenly and unexpectedly you scream aka just this is my life okay when you the are toaster when the toaster Kim. comes up Kim screams you know how in when murders, the kettle goes yeah Kim screams yeah when you drop something on the floor Kim screams Kim screams when the no. captain is kidnapped in a puff of smoke Kim screams yes, so but I'm on a horror side you know how in, in, in like murder mystery shows when they find a body people scream really super loud and really super long 
But in real life, what most people would do is gasp because your fight or flight instinct is like, oh, don't make any noise. They might still be around. Kim is the only person I know who would actually scream. It would scare off any intruders. If if they're bunnies, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) Which, in this battle of ingenuity versus ingenuity, brute strength versus brute strength. Yeah, yeah, sure. So then we are these aliens, the... Metronomes? The metrons. Metrons. Whatever. It, it, it gets said like three different ways. One I'm, or the other. Choose your pick. I'm going with metronomes. Say, <laughs> this is this is your enemy, the Gorn. Sure. So, it is the most hilarious lizard mask. It is definitely a rubber mask with uh, shiny beaded eyes. Now we're going to go into their out- outfit because I detailed it meticulously. Their bug eyes. Good. So fun. there are... Leather elbow length fingerless gloves. Mm-hmm. Gauntlets, I think. Don't try and be fingerless accurate, Ari. Gloves, silver knee pads, a sequined leopard print <laughs> toga. No pants. No pants. <laughs> <laughs> this is actually my note. Gorn is not wearing pants. <laughs> okay, that's going on Twitter. <laughs> well, but I mean, he is technically wearing a toga. Toga, yes. Pants, no. Yeah, no. The, the outfitting. Gorn kind of has no waist. pants. Gorn needs no <laughs> pants. I'm just saying, there's one stiff breeze. And we know all we need to know about Gorn anatomy. I kept for the longest time. I couldn't remember if lizards had penises. <laughs> I think so. I'm not sure if I'm troubled or impressed by the amount of thought that you devoted. to Well, that. I was like, well, how do Gorn reproduce? Do you just like slice a tail off of one of them and then they grow another one? I don't think or that's how. Do it they works. lay Gorn eggs? No, they can't. No, Why? wait, they can. <laughs> Why not? They don't have the right. We don't actually the body. know. I don't that. know. We don't get to see up the toga at any point. We do not. But he looks like flashy. He's yeah, very flashy. Yeah. He looks like he's going clubbing. <laughs> In the early nineties, yes, to exactly some place like called that. like Ibiza Resort, two thousand X. And Kirk takes one look at this. And then starts a diary entry, <laughs> like you do, about how you have how human beings have an instinctive revulsion to reptiles. Yeah. So, by the way, the recording devices were given to both Kirk and the Gorn by the metronomes, so that they could. What was the purpose of them? I completely missed what the purpose of them they was. They were universal translators. So were they supposed to talk to each other? Okay, so here's the other thing. I okay. thought that they were going to get dropped on this planet. Yes. And then they were actually going to start talking to each other and work out their differences and be like, ha, in your face, Metrons. That's because we can Next Gen this. gave you far too high expectations. Yeah, yeah. so yeah. I don't know. And I, th- I think it's, it's weird because I'm going to interject right here because I have notes on this. That on the backs of other episodes, this again makes zero sense. Because in The Squire of Gothos, the episode with Trelane, the thesis statement of that was um, that human beings are not necessarily violent or aggressive, that they have better ways of solving their problems, and that they've moved beyond violence as a way to... As a primary way. Exactly. So the Corbomite Corbomite Maneuver... Good job! That was so hard. (laughs) Is that in the face of an enemy combatant who has superior technology, who seems to have you beat, the way of going forward is not violence and trying to shoot them out of the sky, but rather trying to reason with them or outthink them. Yeah. In Conscious of the King, Mm -hmm. um, Kirk is faced with one could argue that a very personal wrong has been done to him, 
but shuns revenge as an idea because it's not the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. This episode is all violence, rah rah. It is. And makes no sense with the rest of what we've seen. And everyone, like, Spock feels in character, Kirk feels way wildly out of, out of character. character. Yeah, maybe that's why I dislike Kirk in this episode, is because he's out of character. He's I'm very... like, you're reactionary. You're violent. You're angry. You're not I'm thinking is, things through. This is one of the episodes that I remember not like really like being part of the re- one of the reasons that I don't like Kirk. And that's fair. Like I don't like Kirk in this episode. No. And that's saying a huge thing because I like. Kirk. He's not Kirk. Like this episode. No, he he is not our walking textbook with legs. He forgets the formula for gunpowder. Yeah, I know the formula for gunpowder. And I almost failed chemistry eleven. Um. So. <sighs> <laughs> I don't think we want to spend a lot of time on the Gorn. No, because it's boring. Abilities. No, I want to go through every minute of this fight, obviously. Oh, but not talking about the Gorn's costume, which is, like, the worst. Was Okay, so was the actor having difficulty, like, functioning in the costume? This is the same actor. There are two the white... actors. Was yeah, this... there's the one who's the White Rabbit, who's Bob Bobby Clark. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then there was another one who did other other bits of it. But... Yeah, I, whoever was in that costume was obviously having some difficulties because they yeah. could not turn their head or, or see. see or move. Or apparently lift that leg. Looks like they couldn't like lift their arms or... Yeah. Oh, this was a bad... I mean, I limitations mean, of the technology. They should put a dude in like spandex with a painted face even would have been yeah. better. Yeah, because you get no idea of what the Gorn is thinking or feeling or that they are alive. In fact, Kirk says that, that he has to keep reminding him, and this is about lizards being icky, but <laughs> but that he has but to But they keep, do have penises. Yeah, but that he has to keep reminding himself that this is ascension being the captain of a starship. And I feel like that's supposed to be some kind of, eh, audience, eh, eh, remember, that's not just a guy in a mask, except it's a guy in a mask. Well, I think it's very difficult because we're supposed to see him as a superior adversary to Kirk, or yeah. that he's at least his equal, because when the reasons of why the Gorn's attacks came comes, comes along then she's yeah. like oh like he's just the other side of the coin of you except it's just the a guy rubber in a mask. coin the rubber rubber coin because you can't see the this this actor's face or eyes or and you get no emotion no. or anything like he just walks around and it's a guy with it may as well be a block of wood on his head well it's essentially charles atlas with a rubber mask on yeah but the mask doesn't allow any kind of expression or anything like that there's no emotion so like like he might as well have a box on his head and he just walks around hissing and making noises. And Honestly, it would have been really scary if he'd had a box on his head. Actually, yes. <laughs> if he was, like, box head? It could have been also, Woo! like, um, the, the the royalty in Saga with the computer heads. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Like, the, the televisions? That would have been genuinely frightening. I think, actually, just box head would have been mm-hmm, scary enough mm-hmm. for me. Yeah, because then the lack of expression and emotion would have made sense. Yeah, and then it would make his previous statement about how everyone has an instinctive revulsion to boxes a lot more sensible. <laughs> Yeah, so the metronomes say, okay, so fight to the death. Um, <laughs> they fight very slowly. Okay, very slowly. so I'm gonna, I obviously went by this bit by bit. So the Gorn immediately goes over to this tree and, like, rips out really funny. a giant, huge branch. Gigantic And branch. Kirk sees this and goes, aw, shit. So he runs over the nearest tree and snaps tiny off a stick. tiny piece of kindling. <laughs> <laughs> Which I assume he was just going to poke the Gorn with. <laughs> just to annoy him? Yes. Yeah. And then Kirk walks over and gives the Gorn a gentle massage in the face. <laughs> There's also a part where, and this is possibly my favorite 
Kirk fighting move of all time, where he just kind of stands there, and then all of a sudden, he's, like, horizontal, trying to kick his legs out yeah. of something, <laughs> but you can see him coming, and so the Gorn just kind of catches him by the legs and throws him back. Yeah. <laughs> and then they get into this kind of cuddle. Yeah. Because Kirk is, like, drastically outmatched. I think we're supposed to assume that Kirk is outmatched. Yeah. But what happens is as they just gently caress each other. Mm-hmm. So part of the problem is is that the Gorn has these giant teeth, which he doesn't use at all. No. In fact, they rub He nuzzles him. He nuzzles him. <laughs> where he should be taking a giant teeth. Yeah, I thought, him. I kind of thought when that was happening, I was like, okay, now he's going to bite Kirk. Mm-hmm. No. No. The teeth are merely ornamental. Someone lovingly created all of those teeth. For that actor, so and no bad. one used them. I feel so like, bad. Are they like duck teeth? Like they have no function? <laughs> I think they were just made of rubber. And I feel like Kirk was also trying to gently remove the mask. Yeah. <laughs> that was his move. And then Kirk runs away um, to stand on the rocks. Pride Rock, of course. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And there's obvious tinfoil yeah. on the rocks. And... Apparently, this was because this was to hide the um, development that you could see behind. The <laughs> oh no way! So there were like houses and that. So they put the tinfoil up. So, so you is this like nineteen sixties version of a green screen? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yes. And so, because the massaging failed, they decide to go for rock paper scissors. Mm-hmm. They both choose rock. <laughs> <laughs> One rock bigger than the others. And so Kirk picks up this styrofoamiest rock. <laughs> Little Rock. Little Rock, and tries to, like, push it down, but gravity does not work on this island, so it merely rolls away. And, yeah, so we go back to the ship. This is where he picks up the Little Rock, throws it at the Gorn, who who sort of, like, looks down, like, was that the wind? It smokes him in the head, and he just kind of goes... And then he picks up a giant rock. The styrofoamiest rock. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And hurls it, which uh, Shatner is able to dodge because gravity works differently on this planet than on any other one. So back on the ship, Spock goes around to all the different officers telling them how to do their job. Yeah, and uh, suggest a bunch of stuff that Scotty's already done. So he says, here's how to do your job. And Scotty says, yeah, I did did my job. Uhura, here's how to do your job. Do you have any info? What part of no info do you not understand? (laughs) And then Bones is sort of, um, come on, Spock, use your logic and magically find us a way out of this. Bones was a kind of a d-bag in this episode. <laughs> bit, yeah. Well, to be fair, he loves Jim, and mm-hmm. they're 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 hopeless. And yeah. at a certain point, they they do become actual just spectators because there is nothing. Yeah. Can do. Oh my god, that was so boring. It was. So, Kirk stops to write a diary entry, and the Gorn listens to it. <laughs> yeah. Like the worst little sister ever. Yeah. And he keeps like, saying, "I gotta get a weapon." Does Kirk yeah. not? realize the Gorn can hear him? I don't think no. so. No. Which is no. odd. Because he keeps narrating what he's about to do. And the Gorn, who is a much better tactician than Kurt, <laughs> seems like he's completely silent. Dick move on the part of the metronomes to not explain that this was a function of the weird little cylinder things. No. So Kirk says, you know, barehandedly I cannot defeat the Gorn. I have no chance. Except that he totally did in their sensual massage scene. And... Well, he clapped him on the ears. <laughs> Which is actually do reptiles thing- have ears? <laughs> yes, oh. they do. Really? 
That is they just have holes in their head. Yeah, but like they do have like that is a thing that you can do to get someone to let go of you. It's I the feel only... like I really need to look up on reptiles. <laughs> <laughs> but it's the only sensible hand to hand thing Kirk does in the entire. Why doesn't episode? he poke out his eyes? He doesn't have a weapon at that particular moment. He has his thumbs. We've seen the new James Bond. Mm-hmm. You could also fish hook someone. Maybe bug eyes are harder What's to dig fi- out with your Oh, thumbs. good lord, Cam! Ah! Oh! It, it, it's one of the two moves that's banned in MMA. Can't gouge. No, oh my I, god! No eye gouging, no fish hook. Well, wow, that came Cam, in much more helpful than on, I would have hold, thought it would. Cam, do you know that because of actual MMA or because of the number of times you watch Warrior? Uh, that fact never comes up in Warrior. I don't believe you, Kim. No, it actually doesn't. I'm pretty sure that we can defer to Kim as an expert in all things Warrior, well, as opposed sure. to either of us who have yeah, never seen it. Not. So. <laughs> Back to the ship. Where's the captain, says McCoy? In space, says <laughs> Kidnapped. Who oh, cares? Then we go to the fakiest bamboo ever. Oh, yes. That is definitely not natural to this planet. Here, here, how I wrote this was, um, Kirk looks for weapons because the metronomes told them that there was enough on the planet to build weapons. Yeah, and they left piles of stuff scattered. Yes. Yeah. While the Gorn builds something with vines and rocks... While making the noise that um, we do when we're imitating Pico's bad dog laugh, sort it's, of a, it snickers to itself. Yeah. <laughs> it spends the entire episode snickering to itself. This is going to be hilarious. It's yeah. true. So on this planet, the metronomes have left spray painted rocks. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the least diamondy diamonds of all time. Mm-hmm. At which point, Kirk stops to co- to write a haiku mm-hmm. about how diamonds are the hardest, most beautiful, crystallized thing. Mm-hmm. Sure. He rhapsodizes for a little bit in his diary, which the Gorn is listening to while going... <laughs> <laughs> well, diamonds are a girl's best friend. In this case, it turns out with that. to be accurate. Can't and then they're also like rubies and emeralds, and Kirk is like, oh, there's a fortune, a fortune here of stones, but I would give them all for a hand phaser or a good club. Although I believe we've already established that a club would do dick all because one of the things he does in this part is climb a giant cliff to push a giant rock, which just mildly inconveniences the Gorn, right? Hit <laughs> him directly. This was amazing. If he wanted a club, he could have just joined the Gorn in Ibiza 2000X. <laughs> but no, this rock lands on top of the Gorn. Yeah. Like he's yeah. squished severely. 90% yeah. of this Gorn is under, under the, the rock. rock. Yeah. And he gets up, brushes it off, and keeps going on with his life. Yeah. So this is where I made the observation that, you know, in it's only in murder mysteries, you know, when they're they're standing outside the building, and there's usually, like, a not a gargoyle, but a grotesque. And they push it over, and it squishes the person. Yeah. Um, and it feels at this point like we might get, like, a murder mystery, but not very much of a good murder mystery, because there's only two people on this <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Killed the guard. It was Kirk. Oh, it was Kirk. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and so we get the real-time struggle. <laughs> oh, God, it's so long. Oh, and then there's, like, smoke, like, like fire smoke that comes out of nowhere. <laughs> yep. As Kirk is peering over to make sure the Gorn is dead. And then... Spock tries talking to Rainbow Disco. Yeah. Which is when they get Whoa, the line. No, 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 no. Art, you're, art, jumping, art. you're jumping way ahead. That's it. No. no. You have missed the best part of this episode, yes. which is that Kirk tries to run away from the Gorn and gets <laughs> entangled in the Gorn's trap. Yes. yes. The Three Suges trap. Well, it's hard to say because it's essentially we like... We never actually see it it's until a snare. Kirk has hit it. It's like a little piece of rope against a path, and then the rope is attached to a rock, and Shatner has to do some... 
heavy <laughs> lifting, both metaphorical, acting wise, and emotionally. So when he runs and trips against this this piece of string, he like rolls and wraps himself around it, and then brings down a rock on top of himself. Yeah, sure, whatever. It made no sense. I'm no girl guide or boy that, scout. Well, <laughs> I was a girl guide, and I can tell you with my well. To be fair, I do not, do not believe there was a human snare badge, <laughs> <laughs> but I'm pretty sure. <laughs> That would Maybe not there should be. I'm actually going to go back and check only my in, badges when I get home. Only, I think I would have only in Night Vale. <laughs> in Night Vale, there's probably a human snare badge. But you know, I'm pretty sure that all of the trap working parts yes. of that were due to Shatner working real hard to make the trap. He work. does work hard. At this <laughs> point, we take a look. The Gorn appears to be carrying a lightsaber. I would just like to point was that a, out. I thought it was a knife. It was a, it was like a rock that he because you see him chipping it into into uh, shape. Okay. It's a shiv, basically. <laughs> So the Gorn makes a shit, which is more than Spock ever did, and the Gorn comes towards the camera in what I can only describe as a mistake. <laughs> and Spock is busy hailing people who do not want to be hailed. No, although it does get them a live broadcast. Yeah. So that you may prepare yourselves for your captain's inevitable defeat. Here, watch. And then we watch it on the screen of the Bridge of the Enterprise yeah. in... Why? <laughs> I hated this. Well, mainly, I believe, because Kirk was failing so hard at remembering gunpowder so that yeah, we but... could be frustrated in a specific rather than a general way about how interminable, interminable this sequence was. It really is. Kirk is exhausted. He's limping because he caught himself and smushed a rock on top of himself. Yeah. And, oh, he sees sulfur. I remember something very old. If only, if only I could remember... And then on the bridge, Spock's like, gunpowder, 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 (laughs) gunpowder. And the metronomes are like, and McCoy says, stop this, stop in the name of civilization, which is much less catchier than stop in the name of love (laughs) before you break my heart. Anyways, and the metronomes are like, oh yeah, you guys have, you guys have emotions and you're probably going to be really caught up over this, so you should definitely watch him die. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, games, Star Trek edition. It is, it is. And so Kirk finally gets the memo. Mm-hmm. He does an amazing duck leap <laughs> and starts making a cannon. Uh, meanwhile, the Gorn finally talks to Kirk and says, okay, this has gotten boring. I'm sick of chasing you. Just wait there so I can come and kill you. I'm weary of the chase. <laughs> I will be merciful and quick. <laughs> and then we get the like, just sort of shoved in at the very last moment there, where the Gorn tells Kirk that they destroyed their colony, just just fucking killed everybody because they were in Gorn's space, and somehow did not know? Do we just sort of drop a colony wherever without checking? Again, this is the point where, like, guilt edge invitations mm-hmm. or little letters would have helped. Mm-hmm. Oh, hey guys, you're in my backyard. Mm-hmm. And I know that, you know, conflicts between neighbors are often, there might be a barking dog or someone doesn't mow their lawn to the way that you'd like it. <laughs> Do you go in and butcher their family? Not so far. <laughs> I mean... Well, uh, if, if you live in midsummer, you do. <laughs> yeah, okay. But if you don't live in midsummer... Not most people is the answer yeah. to that question. No. Like, you would probably, like, call them up and say, hey, maybe you didn't realize it when you built an entire colony. That must have taken a while. How did it take them so long to realize that colony was there? Maybe... They thought they would go away once they'd finished. Well, do you remember, there's a, there's a next-gen episode that, 
I believe is that this basically happens where um, humans, there's a human colony and it's the one with the radiation. Oh, yeah. It's, I think it's the same one where Data gets, loses his memory. And there's this, these aliens who are like, no, not the one. No, you're, 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 there's two different radiation yeah, ones. You're mixing up two yeah. episodes. There's, the one with the canals. Yeah, there's yeah. one where where people they crash landed on this planet and they and built up, and they created a colony and the Enterprise is like, oh hey, because they thought they all died. Yeah, but it turns out they're they're still alive. And they the colony's colony. like, yeah, yeah, we're totally fine. And yeah. then there's this alien species is like, mm, no, but that's they call, our planet. Yeah, but they call up the Federation yeah. and say, come get your come yeah. get your pets. <laughs> yeah, which is how the Federation. Anyway, yeah, so yeah. that's. But in this case, the Gorn A don't notice that a colony is being built. This wasn't like trailers and tents. It was it was SFU. There, yeah. It had been there a while. With a weapon store. And B just decide that the way to resolve this issue is to just blow the fuck up everything. As a problem-solving technique. <laughs> it lacks something. It lacks a little bit of subtlety, but, uh-huh. you know, it does prevent a prolonged argument. Yes. Except not so much, as it turns out. Yeah. And basically this feels like they couldn't think of a, either they abandoned this premise for like the bulk of the episode so that we could have Kirk and Roy rage mm. or that they went, mm, I guess we have to sum this up in some hippie way to please Gene Roddenberry. So they were in Gordon's space the whole time. Yes. Well, cause yes. you get the one line from McCoy who's basically like, <laughs> could we have been wrong? And I yelled, no, <laughs> we could have been in the wrong, in the wrong, but not entirely. Yes. And there's like, well, that's for the diplomats to sort out. <sighs> yeah. So Kirk goes about constructing his diamond cannon, mm-hmm. his glitter cannon. Bamboo glitter cannon. So yeah. he goes to this big thing of bamboo and like discards some because they're not perfect enough. Mm-hmm. And then finds the perfect one just hiding behind the bush. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then he goes about, size. and we're not going to describe every step of this because it's dull. Where he sort of goes around collecting all of the things that we've already seen um, and tossing them into the bamboo tube because he's finally realized. To the background noise of Spock saying, good, good, yes, <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah, um, this was really boring. It was so boring. I actually okay, but wrote, the first this time, sucks. What, <laughs> yeah. The first time I watched this, I was entranced because it's kind mm-hmm. of like The Martian. <laughs> Hear me out. You have a problem. You have all the supplies out there that you can use to survive. You have a problem. How do you science at it? And so he sciences it out. Sure. And I remember being really impressed by it, too, the first time I saw it. But after being so frustrated by how poorly written the rest of the episode was, it was just one more delaying tactic for the episode to not be over. It's also very disappointing having watched the Mythbusters episode. Where we know this. that what he does does not work. <laughs> that it does not work at all. Does not work. Which is kind of heartbreaking. Although, he basically, he sets up his, his bamboo glitter cannon. Mm-hmm. Um, and it goes, and I wrote, that this works is stupid. Um, it's and he not stupid. knocks down the Gorn. It's and weird that the Gorn walks up, sees this cannon, and, and goes, keeps walking. Yeah, just gonna. That doesn't look dangerous at all. Nope. He gets one tiny shard in the shoulder. Yeah, and apparently that just takes him right out. Maybe he's allergic to diamonds. And we get to see the cannon post explosion with like it's all blackened and all the pieces are sort of blown out in a perfect circle. And I laughed real hard because it was like a Looney Tunes. Thing. <laughs> it was like this is something that would happen to Wiley e. Coyote. That's true. So Kirk goes to straight up cold blooded. See what I did there? Uh-huh, Murder uh-huh. him. Reptiles have cold blood. That is a fact that I do know. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and Kirk is going to murder him and this is... No. No. 
No, I will not kill you. You were just protecting yourself. I I, I dispute this, but fine. I would argue that that's not exactly protecting. No, no, no. No, no. protecting would be if the alien outpost people had started, like, spearing their ships, but mm-hmm. as far mm-hmm. as we know, they just showed up and built SFU. Yeah, yeah with no challenge. There's a really good episode of Voyager, it's one of my favorites, where, um... There's an invasion, and the entire crew of Voyager gets swapped out with aliens. Yes. Oh, yeah. And I've always been super impressed. Like, that is a really good way to invade. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And what the Gorn did was not. No. No. Well, they're not even supposed to be the invaders. They're supposed to be, like, the defenders. Yeah. Um, Except that is not a cl- textbook definition of defense. I mean, definitely, uh, the Federation should have done some better, like, surveying to make sure there weren't, like, well, killer lizards. Well, they were far lizards. away. But sure, any- sure. anyways, so Kirk says, I won't kill him, and this is gonna be my tagline for the episode, so I'm really crushed that I didn't remember it. Get your entertainment somewhere else. <laughs> <sighs> yeah. A very sparkly blonde boy then shows up, is the only way I could think to describe him. So yeah. this gets better. He looks like he's going to the Gorn nightclub. Yeah, and he's wearing what appear to be ballet ribbons around his ankles. He is out of, what is the Olivia Newton-John everyone on roller skates film? Xanadu? Is straight out of Xanadu. <laughs> much like straight out of Compton, but much, much whiter. <laughs> and this, and the being says, does my appearance surprise you? Which is an odd thing to oh, say. before the Metron shows up, because this guy is a Metron, the Gorn just sort of disappears. Like everything does in yeah. Star Trek. Mm-hmm. And the little angel says, I'm 1,500 years old. And Kirk says, you look more like a boy. Yeah. And I guess that's supposed to speak to, like, the Romanness of it. He looks like a young, like, Nero. Mm-hmm. Except covered in silver glitter. And is also a woman. Mm. That was a woman? That was a woman. With a guy voice. Yeah. Yeah. It looked very strange because they were in that really thick makeup, but Mm -hmm. I did look it up. It is a woman. Oh. So she must have been very confused as to what was going on. And... So they... Yes, in um, the budget production of Jesus Christ Superstar, talk about how it's better to love your neighbor than to murder them with a shiv. we're gonna let you live because you showed mercy. You're only half savage. We'll call you when we're ready. In a thousand years. Yeah. Maybe. Back on the ship. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, but this all could have been solved by, I don't know, downloading a few poems off of the Enterprise computer. Yeah, but anyone can write a poem. I'm sure, like, Genghis Khan wrote a poem. But this is another one of those situations where, like, the all-powerful aliens who have declared them to be savages are shocked and amazed that they have concepts like mercy and justice. Like, and I'm like, every single couldn't... episode we've seen thus yeah. far. Yeah. And it's just baffling. It's like, you do, like, three seconds of research, you could have, like, I don't know, talked about it. Yeah, but they were too busy drinking wine and using their vomitoriums. So, <laughs> when they get back to their sh- ship, bibbidi-bobbidi-boo, it turns out they're clear across the galaxy. Which they clearly cannot be. What? Why? It makes no sense. It made no sense. It no. added nothing to the episode. No. All it just means like, is they have to retraverse the galaxy to go get their 30 medical people that they left yeah, behind on This is also line. a very early Trek concept of how big the galaxy is, because later on in Trek canon, across the galaxy is like where, the, where Voyager ends up. Yeah. Like, across the galaxy is a different quadrant, which is really fucking far away, and in later canon means that it takes them decades to get back to Earth. But apparently this is no big deal. We'll just drive back to the house. It's fine. Yes, and so Spock says, what the hell? Yeah. Even though he saw, apparently it shorted out before the metronomes got there. Yeah. 
And Kirk says, we're a very promising species. Did you know? Did, did you know? We're the promising species. And we're going to prove it in a thousand years. And Spock says, I have had my doubts. End of episode. The end! Oh. Uh, yeah. So, I don't... Yeah. So, yeah. Okay. I understand why this is considered a classic, and it's for that five minutes mm-hmm. of... Kirk fighting the Gorn. Yes. Because while it was terrible, it was also hilarious mm-hmm. and extremely memorable. And, like... The rest of this episode sucks. Yeah. I mean, on the face of it, I really like the whole Kirk uses his... I always enjoy the... Yeah, yeah. Starfleet officers right over using Braun. their brains, figuring stuff out instead of just punching everything. Except for the other 99% of this episode was Kirk out of character punching everything and shouting at stuff and declaring they must destroy that ship. Which is just... There's also, the thing that stuck out to me at the end is when Kirk does not stab and murder the Gorn, was that there was another entire episode in here that could have been really good on the difference between institutional versus personal violence. Yeah. And that's, that's what this basically boils down to, is that Kirk is going to have absolutely no trouble destroying this ship um, on a, like a massive faceless scale, yeah. but when it comes down to committing an act... A, like a face-to-face personal act of violence he doesn't do it he's like no no i have mercy um and that would have been an amazing episode if it had been done in the rest of the episode yes but it wasn't but it wasn't a bit, and there would also have been an amazing episode if this had actually been about instituting diplomacy after mm-hmm. m- both sides think they have been massively wronged mm-hmm. but we got that in balance of terror so we know that they're capable yeah. of doing it that's so just because you have baffling. a history of violence a history of bloodshed what is worth starting that cycle again? Yeah. Which is why I was really disappointed that, like, they didn't do something with, like, Spock, who was really concerned about settling anything with violence. Yes. Not reaching As out the to, only like, option. talking to the Gorn ship, which is apparently frozen in space right next to them. Or even McCoy. Yeah. Because we yeah. often get him as the voice of moderation. If not violence, but just well, he's trying not, something he doesn't out. like he doesn't like violence. Uh, he, that's very much a, an element of his character. He doesn't like physical violence. He doesn't like war. He thinks that if you have to resort to that, then you failed somehow. Mm-hmm. That's always been his character. But we don't really get that in this episode, which is funny because it's usually his role. Instead, instead we get Spock being not the voice of reason or considering all your options, but as the voice of pacifism, which is not something we usually get from Spock. Like, not pacifism for its yeah. own sake, because pacifism for its own sake is not logical. It's very strange because ideally, like, when we've had Captain versus Captain conflicts before yeah balance of terror yeah. i'd even go with the corvermite maneuver yeah it's that you know the threat of violence is always there but we have to try other things before we, we get to that point yeah. so that's the last resort yeah but because kirk is acting wildly out of character um it doesn't really resonate the gore no. doesn't seem like a formidable foe doesn't or seem person. like an equal no it's it's a Guy with a box on his head. Guy with a box on his head. Which, again, would have been more terrifying. Even if you put, yeah. like, an unhappy like, yeah. <laughs> face in Sharpie on that box, that would have been really scary. Or a hood. Like, we don't show a- dirty aliens our faces. See, we've been talking about this for, like, an hour, and we've already come up with four or five de- better episodes. And cheaper costumes. Yeah. Now, that, now that you guys are talking about this, what it's really reminding me of is, like, I don't know, tell me if I'm out of line, but, like, America's response to, like, the World Trade Center attacks is, like, there was this giant massive violence... We're gonna go kill the guy. We're immediately gonna go yeah. kill the guys. Yeah. And then it's only after time, after you've been sort of trying to engage in this conflict, 
that you start seeing the re like the reason behind it and the fact that there are other factors that went into things. And I'm not saying that like, that makes like the Gorn attack correct or no. the right thing to do or anything, but it makes the initial I'm immediately going to jump to violence to solve my problem seem like a bad idea. Yeah. yeah. And I think if we think about this in the context of the Cold War mm-hmm. is that each side has done reprehensible, awful things to each other. But how do you work with them after and having the legacy that of a terrible event, the terrible wrong that's been done? How can you work with that enemy to avoid further bloodshed? Not that that's particularly well executed in this episode. No, of course not. It's <laughs> yeah. ridiculous. Because, but he, I mean, we're supposed... Because that, that little sort of, let's shove this into the last second, where, oh, you were only protecting yourselves. It's a little bit unbalanced, because what the Federation colonists did was show up, and what the Gorn did was murder them all. So I think... I, I don't know. Like, if they had actually caught up with the ship and killed some of them, it might have seemed more balanced. But all it really seems like is they didn't think this through when they were writing the episode. No, it's it's a hot mess. But yeah. I think I think we deal with this in other episodes and in Next Generation as well because for so many years the Klingons were the enemy. Yeah. Right? And there were horrible atrocities on each mm-hmm. side. Oh, yeah. yeah. But Same how, with the Kardashians. How after that atrocity... Do you move past that into diplomacy? Yeah. Yes, and that I love that storyline. I love that that in it's a it's a through running thing in Star Trek. Like, well, yeah. If you, you talk about Deep Space Nine and you talk about the Cardassians and the Bajorans and the Cardassians have occupied Bajor, even the Cardassians and humans. And, yeah, and O'Brien's thing with the Cardassians. Yeah, and there have been terrible atrocities and absolutely awful things that have happened. And then you have to try and move past that. And then it gets to a point where the Cardassians sort of have to rely on the Bajorans and the Federation yeah. to get them out of the shit that they've got themselves into and to to re to like to figure their stuff out and it's about okay we don't necessarily neither side necessarily really wants to be doing this because like you yeah. throw because I know they uh, when you get to the end of like the, the end of Deep Space Nine you get Kira is working with Damar which is like oh my god who would have ever yeah. thought you saw these two people in the same room together cooperating um, and this episode had the potential to embody all of these things, and it didn't. No. It, 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 I think it's one of the things it wanted, and like a lot of the episodes that we've done, is like, you could see it wanted to do a lot of things, and it didn't do any of them, but it, it, this, that particular theme, which, again, didn't really happen in this episode, started trying to happen at the very last second, but the idea that civilized people rise above and humans in particular become known, especially later in Star Trek canon, in 24th century Star Trek canon, as being the species who gets over things because they want peace and, like, deals with things and moves past things. And to the point where other other cultures make fun of them for it. Like, well, this is, it's not in your own best interest at the moment, but humans are always looking further into the future, like the Federation in general, but humans in particular like the idea that we have culturally become a people where we value we value the outcome even if the process to get there is difficult and and damaging and hurtful i think it might have to do with the fact of how the script was written so what happened is that gene coon is credited with the teleplay mm-hmm. and when the 
think it's actually DeForest, was looking through the script. They're like, oh, this is awfully like a story in one of the science fiction magazines by <laughs> Frederick Brown. So they gave him story credit and sent him a check. Oh. <laughs> um, and I think his story was more about like the gladiatorial contest. Yeah. Okay. Which in and of itself is not uninteresting. No, no. But they need to pick one thing. Yeah. And so I think that's where that part of it comes through. And then trying to put that within a Star Trek universe is where you kind of get the weird overlay. Um, so Kim, life lessons from this episode. Wear pants. Okay. Yeah. Well, I can't argue with that. Well, I can. But I won't. Thank you. All right. Ari? Basic wilderness skills are important. He didn't have to camp. No. Okay, fine. Basic survival skills are important. He didn't have to go for water. No, but he had to understand things like what these basic elements are. How do I build a terrible fake bamboo space cannon? I can't do that, and I have basic survival skills. No, but you do still have basic He's survival skills. building a bamboo cannon a basic survival skills. No, but that I need to too. look into what the hell the girl guides are up to. But that, too, would have been an amazing guy badge. Christ. Screen, life lesson. Uh, don't bring a shiv to a cannon fight. <laughs> <laughs> that was um, beautiful. Performance of the episode. Kim. There was no performance I was, oh, yeah. I was thinking about that all in my best right here. I'm like... Who, no, one, either, no I, one did a good job I'm here. either giving it to the guy who wore the Goran costume because that, yeah. that's just what sufferance. I'm doing I'm yeah. giving it to the guy who wore the Goran costume because that was it looked like a difficult and sweaty job I'm, I'm with Kim actually I agree <laughs> I'm going to he give it hardest. to George Takei just because I felt like I haven't given him an episode yet <laughs> and he was perfectly fine <laughs> yeah um, I would also like to point out at this point that it was filmed at Vasquez Rock, which I always continually refer to it as Pride Rock, <laughs> um, was also the base in seasons one and three mm-hmm. for the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. Yeah. That's right! Yeah, I kept looking at that and going, that seems really familiar. I know you're from a place. <laughs> it's, it's like a big shooting location. It gets used and, a lot. And so anything that's filmed in LA probably at some point films at Vasquez Rock. Need some rocks? I know exactly the place. Yes. Uh, body count, Ari. I do the uh, body count. Oh, sorry, Kim. Uh, so all the colonists. Oh, gosh. Uh, yeah. Plus two Enterprise crew members. Was it just two? It was just yeah. two. On the, on a red shirt and a blue shirt. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. So it was actually quite, I mean, other than all the colonists who died off screen two we days ago. We don't know how many there were, but yeah. obviously we all mourn the passing of the personal chef. Yeah, I know. Yeah, a I'm moment sure. of silence for that personal chef. Ari, ladies? One, Uhura. Yeah, it was a very sparsely ladied episode. It was a very sparsely human episode. Yeah. Honestly, yeah. there were maybe ten people in the entire episode plus the Gorn and, and Metronome. Actually, her face, now, that face. You, now that you mention it, like, um, whenever they do landing parties, there's usually one lady on a landing yeah. party. This mm-hmm. one... Was it just because, ladies yeah. don't know tactics, Kim. Was that what it was? Because they asked for the tactical crew? Yes, or, and apparently. It's because they were going for horse. <laughs> Ooh. Uh, and also two people of color, except it was Ahura and... Uh, you know, Sulu. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, should we resort to violence? <laughs> should we do revenge? I think only if we come face to face to the writer of this episode. Gene <laughs> <laughs> Kudor, Frederick Brown, watch yourself. I think we'd like to end with uh, the line that really sums up this episode Get your entertainment somewhere else. You're not going to find it in this episode. 